Thank you to the praise team for helping set our hearts and minds in the Lord. Thank you, Angie, for reading and Dave for praying. Uh, looking forward to sharing this passage of scripture with you today. Uh, also looking forward, I have been looking forward just to be here. Uh, I was talking to someone this morning about, well, why should, why should I come to the Sunday morning service? And among the reasons, one of those is this is sort of like a weekly family reunion, right? We get to connect with each other and hopefully connect together with the Lord. So it's, it's good to be together. Um, so anyway, glad to be here and glad to see you and looking forward to what God would have for us this morning. As I was uh, studying this passage uh, for this message this morning, I remembered a story from my first job out of medical training. It's 1983, and I'm working in a neighborhood health center in a poor inner city neighborhood of Plainfield, New Jersey. If you're doing the math, I graduated from medical school at age five. The director introduced me to Dr. N, a surgeon who surprisingly had agreed to work with our needy patient population. Not everyone wanted to work with us. He came with very impressive and unusual credentials. He could not only do abdominal surgery, but he could do chest surgery, vascular surgery, just about any surgery that people needed. I was mildly impressed and deeply skeptical. I was not confident that anyone could possibly do all that he said he could do, or could he? However, my skepticism was put to rest after his first surgery. It was varicose vein surgery on an older woman. The surgery was performed so badly that I was no longer skeptical about his credentials. I was now totally convinced that he was a fraud. His actions did not back up his bold claims. And a later hospital investigation revealed that he had lied about his training and his background. We'll see in a short time what this story has to do with today's study in Luke 4. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 4 and follow along. I really appreciate it. You don't take my word for it, but hopefully we can, you can see these things in God's word for yourself. Where are we in the story so far in Luke 4? Well, Jesus is now about 30 years old, and it is the first few months of his three years earthly ministry. Last week we saw he was teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth, the town where he grew up. And I'd like you to listen again to what Jesus read from the scriptures on that Sabbath day in Nazareth. And we see that in verses 18 and 19. He was quoting from Isaiah, who prophesied about 700 years earlier of a coming Messiah. And this is what Isaiah said those 700 years before Jesus came. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And now listen to Jesus' mind-blowing response to reading that passage, and that's in verse 21. He looks them as they're staring at him in the synagogue and say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He is claiming that he, Jesus, is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who fulfills this Old Testament prophecy. This is a very bold, authoritative claim. 
Well, after leaving Nazareth, Jesus goes to Capernaum, a town on the northwest shore of the Lake of Galilee. And today's section of Luke, which we're going to look at, verses 31 to 44, could be called a day in the life of Jesus. It spans about a 24-hour time frame and occurs in three different locations. We're going to look at those three different locations as we go along. Now, before we dig into this, I would just like to pause for a moment and, and just pray again. Lord, open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. May your spirit apply these truths to our hearts and lives and may we grow in our wonder of who you are and what you have done for us. And may we grow in our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's walk together through Jesus' day. And we're going to take a couple detours along the way. I'll let you know when those detours come. And let's keep in mind, as Jesus goes to Capernaum, how will his deeds measure up to the authoritative claim he just made in Nazareth? Well, the first location is Saturday morning. It's in the synagogue. And we see in verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. He reads from the Bible and then instructs them in its meaning and its application. Luke records here that they were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching. They were so struck with his teaching that they were overwhelmed. And why? For his word possessed authority. This was something very different from the men who usually taught them. Have you ever heard a great speaker that was so profound that you knew that you were in the presence of greatness? You were left speechless, having nothing to say or do but to stand there and marvel. I'm reminded here of President Lincoln's Gettysburg Address on November 19, 1863. The main speaker that day, who was to give the Gettysburg Address, was Edward Everett, who delivered a well-received message containing 13,607 words and lasted two hours. Mr. Lincoln was asked to give a few brief comments to dedicate the area as a national cemetery. He spoke what is now known as the Gettysburg Address. It contained 272 words and took just a few minutes to say. The crowd was so stunned by the wisdom and power of his brief address that there was no applause. There was no response, initially leading him to conclude that his message had been poorly received. Mr. Everett's address is largely unknown today. Mr. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is considered one of the greatest in our history. The people in the synagogue in Nazareth or Capernaum do not know that the one who is now instructing them from the Bible is the author of the book. He is the one who wrote the words in the first place. They do not know that the God of the universe is standing before them, explaining to them the mysteries of God and his world. But one thing they do know, they are in the presence of something big, very big. His word possessed authority. And here we see the first point that Luke is trying to get to us today, that Jesus has absolute authority 
regarding the truth of God's word. Jesus has absolute authority regarding the truth of God's word. Then at the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit speaks up. We see that in verse 33. And in verse 34, we see his words, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. By the crowd's reaction, this was not a new experience for them to see a demon-possessed man speak up. But what was new, what, was, what happened after he spoke up, when Jesus said, be quiet, be silent, and come out of him. Now they were, Luke reports, amazed. They were rendered immovable by how unusual and astounding this is. Not only did Jesus command the evil spirit, but that spirit fully obeyed. Never before had they seen anything like this. And their response in verse 36, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. We saw that Jesus has absolute authority regarding the truth of God's word. Now we see that Jesus has absolute authority over the evil spirits. Well, that's the first location. Let's go to the second location. We see that in verse 38. He arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Simon, whom we also know as Peter. And we find here that Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So she is sick, Luke records, with a high fever. This is no minor illness, what the point Luke's trying to get across. This is not just a little cold or a few sniffles. This is a major illness. And I can just imagine Luke writing these words in verse 39. In all his years as a medical doctor, I don't think this is how he usually treated high fevers. Verse 39 says, And he, Jesus, stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. He, as a medical doctor, had never seen anything like this. Neither had those present that day seen anything like this. Later that day, in verse 40, at sunset, the sun was setting. Luke tells us that all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. Well, what's going on here? Well, this is the response to verse 37. Remember, Jesus is in the synagogue. He's teaching with authority. He casts out a demon. And in verse 37, it says, reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding area. After the synagogue meeting that morning, people couldn't wait to get home to tell all their friends and neighbors what they had just witnessed. As I reflected on the events of that day, I was reminded of the true situation of one of our neighbors, whose four-year-old granddaughter I will call Maria. Maria was born with many physical problems that have required intensive treatment, prolonged hospitalizations, and multiple surgeries, and the journey is not nearly over. 
I imagine that if I had been at the synagogue in Capernaum that morning, I would have immediately gone home to my neighbors and said, we need to get Maria to this Jesus of Nazareth. He's in Capernaum, staying at Simon's house. You know, the fisherman, the one whose mother-in-law is staying with him. I'm sure he could heal Maria. Let's get her and go now. And on the way, I'll tell you what I saw. That's what's happening here in verse 40. Well, what's the result? Notice again the language in verse 40. It says, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases, he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. This was not a charlatan. This was not some self-proclaimed faith healer who made claims he could not back up. This is a man who had absolute, absolute authority and power over every kind of illness in all kinds of people. There was no illness, no injury, no defect, no infirmity that he could not heal completely. He could heal anyone of anything at any time. So we already saw that Jesus has absolute authority regarding the truth of God's word. We saw that Jesus has absolute authority over the evil spirits. And now we see that Jesus has absolute authority over sickness. Well, before we go to our third location of Jesus' day, we need to take two detours to highlight a couple things. Detour number one, what's this whole thing about demons or unclean spirits or evil spirits? This is something that is far outside most of our experience in our modern Western world. And we're not going to do an extensive study of unclean spirits or demons, but enough of a look to try to put it in context of our passage today. The best we know, demons are spirit beings who are completely evil, believed to be angels who rebelled against God. There's really not much about demon possession in the Old Testament, a couple references perhaps, There's really not much in the New Testament after the Gospels and Acts, which means we really don't know as much as we'd like to know about these beings, and we have to believe that's intentional on God's part. But it is evident by the time Jesus arrived on the scene, demon possession had been going on long enough that the general populace clearly had experience with the existence of demons and how they openly manifested their evil power in people's lives. Perhaps God allowed this demon activity to manifest itself so dramatically at this time and place in history in order to demonstrate on one hand evil's hatred of God, the Savior, and his salvation, and on the other hand, Jesus' power over that evil. If you listen long enough, you'll hear many skeptics claim that demon possession was just a way for non-scientific people to explain things they did not understand or could not control. But a reading in the New Testament shows that there was a clear understanding of the difference between infirmities caused by illness and those caused by demon possession. Sometimes the impairments were similar, but the cause was clearly different. For example, the inability to speak. In Matthew 9, it's attributed to demon possession. In Mark 7, it's attributed to an illness, and Jesus treats them differently. I don't know how they knew the difference, but they did. And again, apparently God does not intend for us to know the difference, otherwise he would have spelled it out for us. Well, that's detour number one. Let's take detour number two. Why does Jesus forbid the demons to speak, as it says in verse 41, 
Demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Well, I thought that was the purpose. I thought the purpose was that everyone would know that he was the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior. Yeah, that's true, but the right kind of Savior. The common expectation of the Jewish people at the time was that the Messiah would come as a conquering king to deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus knew he was entering the world to first die on the cross, to take on himself the full weight of our brokenness and sin and the curse of this world, to die the death we deserve to die. And he also knew that he would rise from the dead to conquer sin, evil, and death once for all, for all who would believe in him and for all eternity. He knew that one day he would come back as the conquering king, but for now, he was here to rescue us from us, to rescue us from our sin. He did not want people to misunderstand and come to wrong conclusions about his purpose. And we even see that in the Gospels, where there were a couple times where people wanted to come and take him by force to make him king, which he refused. Hence, not letting the demons speak, but letting his teaching and his actions speak for themselves. Well, our detours are over. Let's go to our third and last location. The third location, Sunday morning, in a desolate place. This and similar passages have been a source of astonishment and wonder to me for years, perhaps because of my work as a medical doctor. And after the experiences of the day before, People wanted more of Jesus. They wanted to hear more of his teaching. Doubtless, there were others in need of deliverance from demons or healing of diseases. I was reflecting on what John Elcock shared this morning about their trip to Liberia. They showed up in the morning to begin to set up for the clinics, finding there were about 200 people who had walked a long distance and were already there for the clinic. So we see the same thing happening here. I think back to bringing my neighbors and Maria to Jesus. Maybe we couldn't get to him the night before like many people did, but we would be sure to be at Simon's house bright and early the next morning. Maria would be first in line and we we would be looking for Jesus with great hope and expectation. But Jesus was nowhere to be found. Verse 42 says, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. Jesus left to go to a desolate place. Mark tells us when he recounts this story that he went away to pray. So the people go looking for him and after finding him, try to keep him from leaving. And I find Jesus' answer to be absolutely startling. He basically says, no, I must move on to other places. What? He leaves people who are seeking truth untaught. He leaves people who are demon-possessed undelivered. He leaves people who are suffering from various diseases unhealed. He leaves. How's that even right? 
to leave when there are still people who are in desperate need of his healing touch and authoritative word. I'm sure the people didn't understand. I'm sure they weren't happy. I would not have been, especially with Maria waiting first in line. Well, why does he leave? His reason is based on a clear understanding of his purpose. In verse 43, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus knew that his miracles of physical healing and deliverance were not enough. He knew that his purpose went far beyond putting band-aids on our existence in this broken world so that we would have a more comfortable life here. The kingdom of God is so much more than mere physical healing. He could certainly heal a blind person's eyes, but what would be accomplished if that person who could now see lived to be 80 years old and still died without forgiveness of his sins and therefore spent eternity separated from God? He could certainly deliver people from evil spirits, but what would be accomplished if those delivered people lived to be 100 years old and still died without forgiveness of their sins and therefore spent eternity separated from God? See, Jesus is focused on eternity. He came with eternal purposes to rescue us from sin, our sin, so that we may live for him and with him, both now and for eternity. That's the good news. That's the gospel of the kingdom of God. We saw in Luke 4.21 that Jesus made the bold, authoritative claim that he was the Christ, the anointed one sent by God to be the savior of the world. And unlike my surgical colleague at the beginning of my career, Jesus proved that he could fully back up his claim to be that savior by the miracles he performed. But those miracles were never the primary goal in themselves. His miracles served to establish the authority and power of his claim to be the savior of the world. John says it this way in his gospel. He says, now Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have life in his name, eternal life, starting now. He knew that people in places other than Capernaum also needed to hear this good news of eternal life in the kingdom of God. And so he left them to go elsewhere. I'm sure that the people in those other places were glad that he did. Let's step back a bit and ask why Luke wrote this particular passage. I think it's important for us to understand that the passage is not here to teach us how to recognize and cast out demons. The passage is not here to teach us how to heal diseases. The passage is here to demonstrate Jesus' absolute authority and power. The purpose of Luke writing this is to demonstrate Jesus' absolute authority and power regarding the truth of God's word, his absolute authority and power over Satan and the power of evil, and his absolute authority and power over all the brokenness and sickness 
of this world in our lives. And as the gospel writers continue to tell Jesus' story, we find that, in fact, there is nothing that is outside his absolute authority. He has absolute authority over everything. This is truly great news. But if you're like me, there's also some unsettledness, some confusion to this reality of this great news. If Jesus has absolute authority and power over everything, then why is my life still filled with so many difficulties? Why do babies die in infancy like one of our grandsons? Why do bones get broken <laughs> like some of mine? Why are innocent people killed? Why do addictions enslave us? Why does cancer happen and why does it take some of us but not all of us? Why do marriages suffer? Why are families dysfunctional? Why are bosses abusive? Why are teachers and professors unreasonable? Why are students unruly? Why could I not get those courses I needed to finish my degree on time? Etc. 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 Does Jesus really have absolute authority and power over everything? Or even worse, does he have absolute authority and power but just doesn't care enough to use it to help me? And I believe it's at this point that some clarification is needed. And this morning's study reveals one of the challenges we have when studying the Bible. There's no one passage that has the complete story about who God is and how he works in our midst. I just said that it is good news that Jesus has all authority and power, but that in fact could be scary, very scary. We are all well aware that in our world, it is not usually good news when someone has all the authority and power. More often than not, when one person has all the authority and power, it ends up being used for selfish or harmful purposes. Imagine all that authority and power in the hands of a god whose motives we don't fully trust or understand. But we know from other parts of the Bible that God is also kind and just and gracious and merciful and holy and wise and patient and loving, just to name a few. That's what makes it good news that Jesus has absolute authority and power. Because he has all authority, nothing can stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. Nothing can stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. And because he fully loves us, nothing will stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. Because of his power and authority, nothing can stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. Because he fully loves us, nothing will stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. So every one of us listening to this message this morning has something in life that is not going well. Anyone want to object to that? There are difficult life circumstances and or challenging temptations. There are illnesses and physical impairments that are relentless and worsening, especially as we get older. Especially as we get older. There are problems at school, problems at home, problems at work, problems with our relationships, 
There are problems in our communities and around the world that deeply trouble us. Violence, injustice, crime, hatred. We have disappointments, confusion, uncertainty. We get distracted and turn our eyes off of the things of God because life on earth is hard. Today's passage shows us that Jesus is still in charge. He has absolute authority and power over everything in the universe, which he exercises according to his good eternal purposes. Jesus is fully able to rescue us from all the troubles of our lives immediately. And sometimes he does. Many times he does not. When he does not give us quick relief, that's because he has a better plan and is working on our behalf with an eternal perspective. Nothing is impossible with God. But that doesn't mean he will, he will always do everything he could do. It just means that he will always do everything he should do. And one of the greatest illustrations of this is Jesus' crucifixion. He could have easily used his authority and power to destroy his enemies and avoid any suffering. He could have. He even said himself, could I not call down a legion of angels at this moment? Those who accused him said, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross and save yourself. He easily could have done that. Easily. But he had a higher purpose that required him to die on the cross for us. So when life is hard and does not make sense, God invites us to trust his good eternal purposes for us. He is still in charge of the universe, but he has purposes that are far beyond our understanding many times. It bears repeating, because Jesus has all authority, nothing can stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. And because Jesus is all loving, nothing will stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. It's just a matter of timing. Whether we are healed or remain unhealed on this earth, whether our problems are, sol are solved or remain unsolved in this life, whether he grants us understanding or remain confused and uncertain until we see him, God promises that one day all will be perfectly healthy, all problems will be perfectly solved, and all uncertainty will be made perfectly clear. As we leave our meeting today, may we live with greater and growing confidence in Jesus who exercises his absolute authority on our behalf according to his good eternal purposes. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for the good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior who came to rescue us from the sin and evil that impoverishes us, enslaves us, blinds us, oppresses us. And we have attempted this morning to express these great truths in ways that we can understand and get our minds around but we thank you that Jesus has absolute authority and power over everything 
by which there is nothing that can stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. And we thank you that Jesus loves us fully, which means that nothing will ever stand in the way of him acting in our best interest. Lord, you have done great things, you do great things, you will do great things, and I ask that you would help us to live in confidence in Jesus who will see us safely through this life and safely into your eternal kingdom. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.